Welcome to the I Am Vinyl podcast. My name is Pete LaRussa, and I'd like to thank you for joining us here at cnjradio.com, or if you're a subscriber via Apple Podcasts. And today's episode is my tribute to Rush and drummer Neil Peart, which I discussed during the introduction to our last episode, which was part two of our KISS roundtable discussion, and where I'd mentioned that after we'd completed our roundtable discussion, we'd found out along with most of the world on January 10th, 2020, that Rush's drummer Neil Peart had passed away on January 7th, 2020, after battling brain cancer. A battle he fought secretly since being diagnosed in 2016, shocking the majority of Rush fans as it was never revealed to anyone other than those closest to them that Neil was very sick and had been diagnosed with brain cancer sometime in 2016, after Neil and Rush had announced their official retirement following their final tour, which was the critically acclaimed R40 tour, in which I was very fortunate to have attended myself at Madison Square Garden on June 29, 2015. What was not particularly surprising was the fact that Rush and Neil Peart collectively decided not to share his illness with the mass media. As most long-standing fans of Rush know by now, Neil Peart prided himself on being a very private person. Whether anyone liked it or not, and whether they chose to understand this or not, I think this was the right decision they had taken. As devastating as it was for myself and fans all over the world to find out so suddenly, I believe this was the right decision as Neil Peart wanted it that way, along with Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson, out of respect for Neil's wishes. Now it's tough to transition and say, let's talk about something positive, given what has happened over the course of the last few weeks, but this is a Rush and Neil Peart tribute show, and I do intend to make this as much of a positive show as humanly possible, given the circumstances. After all, we're here to celebrate the music of Rush, along with the amazing and beyond proficient drumming of Neil Peart. So that is what I intend on doing today, for myself as a Rush fan of over 30 years, and for every Rush fan tuning in to hear this show. Before I felt I had to put together this show at this time, my initial plan was to have a series of Rush roundtable discussions, similar to the recent KISS roundtable discussions, where we'd break down individual albums and time periods of the band wherein we would choose our favorite tracks to play from each studio and live album. With this tribute show I've put together, I've chosen tracks from each studio album and a couple of tracks from their most well-known live albums, which include some personal favorites, a few very familiar tracks in which I felt must be on this show, along with a few obscure tracks from certain albums that I have always enjoyed and feel are worth getting some extra attention on a show such as this. It certainly was not easy to put this playlist together and to have to leave out many songs that myself and other Rush fans will easily feel should be represented in this tribute show. For some albums, it was really tough to limit myself to picking just one track, while for some albums, I felt I had to choose two tracks. So I settled at a nice even number of 30 songs in total, with a total running time which will likely surpass three hours, in which I'm going to play here today as we pay tribute to Rush and Neil Peart 
on the I Am Vinyl podcast. As we progress through this show and reach certain tracks, I will go into some personal stories about how Rush and Neil Peart have affected me as a music fan and as a musician beginning at some point in the early to mid-80s. Also of note, this show will consist of tracks taken directly from the 180-gram and 200-gram reissues that have been released by Universal Music and Atlantic Records. Specifically, the tracks from their years on Mercury Records will be taken directly from the free digital vinyl transfer files that I downloaded via the download code cards that were included with each release from the debut album through Hold Your Fire, and all of which were done at Abbey Road Studios. With only a few exceptions, which I'll get into as we progress through the playlist. The rest of the albums from their Atlantic Records years, through their run on Roadrunner Records, will be vinyl transfers in which I've done from my own turntable digitally via USB. So let's begin the I Am Vinyl podcast tribute to Rush and Neil Peart right now. To begin, I felt that I should open with a track in which features Rush's original drummer, John Rutsey, who'd left the band due to health issues related to diabetes sometime after Rush had been signed to Mercury Records and their debut album had been reissued by the label after it had initially been released independently by the band on Moon Records. John Rutsey passed away on May 11, 2008, at the age of 55. So let's pay some respect to the drummer who backed Rush early on until they eventually transitioned with Neil Peart replacing him by opening this tribute show with a song from their debut album, originally released on March 1st, 1974, and is taken from the 200-gram reissue under the title of Rush Rediscovered, which was released on April 29th, 2014, in box set form, to begin the 200-gram vinyl reissue campaign which stretched from April of 2014 through January of 2016. It's one of my favorite tracks on Rush's debut album, and the song is called In the Mood.
was In the Mood from the 200-gram edition of the self-titled debut album by Rush under the title of Rush Rediscovered. As now we fully transition over to the Neil Peart era, following him officially joining the band on July 29, 1974. However, I don't want to move on to the next studio album just yet as we begin this transition. So even though this live set was originally released over two years later, on September 29th, 1976, I felt the debut album should see a little more representation on this show. And since a few tracks from the debut album were included in this live set, with Neil Peart performing on them, I thought this would be a great spot to begin Rush's transition from John Rutsey to Neil Peart behind the drums. So, from the Double Live LP 200 Gram reissue, of All the World's a Stage, which was released on March 17, 2015, here's Working Man, the track that originally gained the interest of Cliff Bernstein when he was working for Mercury Records at the time Rush's debut album in 1974 was a self-released effort by the band and had been receiving a lot of airplay on radio station WMMS out of Cleveland, Ohio, along with a portion of the self-titled debut album opener, Finding My Way, and which also includes an excellent drum solo from Neil Peart, which I couldn't think of a better way to begin as we transition over to the Getty, Alex, and Neil era, which would become permanent, lasting from 1974 through the end in 2015. So let's flash back to the Massey Hall in Toronto from a live album that was recorded between June 11th, 
through June 13th in 1976 and continue our long journey through this legendary trio's discography in which is loved and revered by so many fans. Thank you very much. We'd like to take you back to our first album and do something. This is called Working Man. Seems to be a good life. 
That was Working Man with some portions of Finding My Way, along with a drum solo by Neil Peart from the 200 gram edition of All the World's a Stage to begin the all Neil Peart era of Rush in showcasing just how much he brought to the band with his drumming skills while performing those early first album tracks in which John Rutsey had previously recorded and performed with the band. A perfect time and place early into this tribute episode to hear one of Neil Peart's legendary drum solos, of which would evolve and become an even better highlight of their shows over their 40 years of touring. So now we're going to move on full-fledged into Neil Peart's studio work with Rush as we shift over from the self-titled debut from 1974 to their second full-length album, which was originally released on February 15, 1975, entitled Fly by Night, in which Neil Peart began penning the lyrics to Getty and Alex's ideas as they found that he was so well-read and highly intelligent that he could probably write some great lyrics for their music. Fly by Night would also mark the beginning of a stretch of albums to be produced by Terry Brown. Now, while I would have liked to play more than one track from this album, and specifically a song like Anthem, which is one of my favorites, I've chosen to play what I think is considered their first true complex piece of music, in which would mostly define them throughout the remainder of the 70s. This track comes from the 200-gram edition of Fly By Night, which was released on January 27, 2015, which in this case was a vinyl transfer I had to produce for the entire album, as the free downloaded vinyl transfer files from Abbey Road Studios were done at a slightly slower pitch and speed, which won't be the first time during this playlist that I had to create my own vinyl transfer of one of these early 200-gram reissue releases for some reason. And the track I'm speaking of is a nine-minute piece, which is another favorite of mine, and which is entitled... Bitor and the Snow Dog.
That was Bitor and the Snow Dog from the 200 gram edition of Fly By Night, as we now shift over to Rush's third full length album and the first of four albums coming up, which would have a maximum of four to six songs, including songs that come close to or surpass the 10 minute mark. The album is called Caress of Steel, which was originally released on September 24th, 1975 and during the same year as their second album, Fly By Night. For this album, I've chosen one of the shorter songs, and one which leads off this album, and is taken from the 200 Gram edition, released on February 24th, 2015. And the song is called Bastille Day. Claim the bloody prize 
was Bastille Day from the 200 gram edition of Caress of Steel. As it'll soon be time for some personal recollections as we head into the next studio album. I'm talking about an album that would change everything forever for Rush and allow them to record and release whatever they wanted for the rest of their career. Originally released on April 1st, 1976, Rush's fourth studio album, 2112, would prove to be the turning point, which would lead to a string of very successful albums. And because the Caress of Steel album hadn't sold particularly well, and the tour supporting the album was not a huge success, Rush were basically given an ultimatum that they had to record an album that was more in line with what their record company, Mercury Records, would prefer they record aiming more towards getting some airplay on mainstream radio. As long-standing fans of Rush know, they made the decision to write and record whatever they wanted, because if they were going to be dropped from the label, they felt they might as well go out having recorded the type of music they wanted to record and to be proud of recording. Now, as for my personal recollections on 2112, I can vividly recall being at a neighbor's house across the street from our house where I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. A friend of my older brother, Vincent, and generally a friend of the family by the name of Araldo. He was into a lot of great music, and specifically I connected with him because of his love of Pink Floyd's music. Sometime in early 88, after I'd received my first all-in-one combo stereo system with a double cassette deck, turntable, and AM-FM radio, I was at his house looking through his vinyl albums, and I came across his original copy of 2112. The cover art and the inner gatefold immediately grabbed my interest, and without even hearing a single note of it, I asked Araldo if I could borrow the album, along with the self-titled debut album by Boston, with another striking album cover, which he had no problem with loaning to me. I'd already heard some of Rush's music by this time, which I'll get into later as we head into albums further down the line. I had positive expectations I'd probably like 2112, based on the album cover art alone. I can recall putting the album on for the first time and hearing the spacey introduction of the side one encompassing epic piece, 2112, and just being mesmerized by the whole thing while being fixated on the album cover art and the inner gatefold. Once the overture heads into the temples of Syrinx, the rest of the album could have been a compilation of farts, and I probably would have loved it. Needless to say, I really became a Rush fan right there and then. Even though, as I mentioned earlier, I was familiar with a few songs already that I know I liked, but that was from hearing them with my brother if I was hanging out with him in our basement while he was listening to music. This was the first time I truly dove into a full-length album by Rush on my own. And knowing myself at that time, I likely borrowed Araldo's 2112 record for quite a while before I had to give it back to him eventually. So I thank him all these years later for being so kind as to be willing to lend his original copy to me, not even having turned 12 yet at the time, and still entrusting me with it. So for this album, I'm going to play two tracks, as I think with my backstory you can understand why I feel this is one of those albums in which two tracks have to be played as part of my tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. These tracks are taken from the 200 gram hologram edition that was released on March 17th, 2015. And I'm going to start off with a track 
that leads off side two. So if you're like me and you've got some green buds handy, then you know what time it is. It's time to light up a joint, a blunt, a bong, or a bowl, and enjoy this Rush fan favorite, A Passage to Bangkok. was A Passage to Bangkok from the 200-gram hologram edition of 2112. 
as we're going to head right into the next track I've chosen from this album. It's a song that was part of my top 10 Desert Island album picks when I was a guest for episode 220, Pete Strikes 10, on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast with cnjradio.com's very own Joey Haney back on August 31st, 2016. Now, I figure the majority of listeners are using headphones right now to tune in, which I truly hope is the case, as the intro in this next track is one of my all-time favorites in the entire Rush discography, and how it builds up to eventually lead into Getty Lee's vocals, and to me is especially great to listen to with headphones on. And the title of the track is called Lessons. So feel free to hit pause right now if you're not wearing headphones at the moment while tuning in. And go grab a good pair right now before I spin this track and take in the introduction to Lessons in the best way possible.
That was Lessons from the 200-gram hologram edition of 2112, as we'll move on now to Rush's fifth studio album, A Farewell to Kings, which was originally released on September 1st, 1977. This album would also find Rush breaking into Billboard's U.S. Top 100 with their highest peak position, hitting number 76 with their first single from the album, Closer to the Heart. As for my choice from A Farewell to Kings, I'm going to send this track out to Talking Metal's own Mark Striegel for inviting me to write an article celebrating the 40th anniversary of A Farewell to Kings, which was posted to the Talking Metal digital website on September 3rd, 2017. I really appreciated the opportunity to get to contribute to the Talking Metal franchise. With that all being said, from the 200-gram edition that was released on April 21st, 2015, I've chosen to play the album opener and title track, A Farewell to Kings, which, as I mentioned in my Talking Metal article, features one of my favorite pieces of Rush's music, beginning around the four-minute mark. And so it spins, right now.
That was the title track from A Farewell to Kings, as we'll move on now to Rush's sixth studio album, Hemispheres. The final album of four, which would have a maximum of four to six songs, including songs that come close to or surpass the 10-minute mark, which was originally released on October 29th, 1978. Here we have another album that I could not choose just one track to play on this tribute show. Taken from the 200-gram edition that was released on May 19th, 2015, here's another one of my favorite tracks from the 70s era of Rush, and the song is called Circumstances.
That was Circumstances, the first of two tracks from Hemispheres, which will be played on this tribute show. Given this episode is serving as a tribute to Rush and Neil Peart, I felt this next track had to be included on this show. It's one in which drummers, such as Mike Portnoy, continue to cite as one of the benchmarks of progressive rock drumming, one of the greatest instrumentals ever recorded, in my opinion. This is also another case where I had to create my own vinyl transfer, because the free downloaded vinyl transfer file from Abbey Road Studios had a skip during the middle of this track, which I couldn't help being somewhat amused at while thinking, did anyone actually pay attention while these transfers were running? Anyway, with that all being said, here's another showcase of the legendary drumming of Neil Peart, and is easily one of my all-time favorite instrumentals. And the song is called La Villa Strangiato.
That was La Villa Strangiado, which closes the Hemisphere's album and its two-song portion of this tribute episode to Rush and Neil Peart. As I mentioned earlier during my introduction to the Hemisphere's album, it would serve as the final album of four, which contained between four to six songs, with some covering an entire side of an album, or two tracks covering one side of an album. With their seventh studio album, Permanent Waves, which was originally released on January 14, 1980, Rush decided to go in a direction which saw a bit less of the epically long pieces that had been on the four previous albums. This decision would only net even more success for Rush in where they'd begin to reach heights of popularity among not only their already previously built audience, but more mainstream rock music fans. Here we also have another album in which I have a personal connection to, which I was alluding to earlier while talking about the 2112 album, and is one of my earliest memories of anything having to do with Rush's music. It also happens to be an early starting point to my eventually becoming an aspiring drummer myself, starting sometime in 1985. A few years before, and likely around 1982 or 1983, I was hanging out in the basement of our house with my older brother Vincent, who around this time was using the basement as a place where he could play his stereo system fairly loud without bothering anyone. At some point, he grabbed a pair of drumsticks he had and put on the spirit of radio, and he started showing me how to use a hi-hat and snare drum by using two bar stools we had in our basement, one with a yellow seat cushion and the other with a brown seat cushion, and one lower than the other to simulate a hi-hat and a snare drum. I don't remember how well I did or anything like that, but I point to that moment as a time where I got the initial bug to want to be a drummer and a musician. So while this song is obviously a classic rock radio staple, there was simply no way I could leave this song out of this tribute show to Rush and Neil Peart. It's going to be the first of two tracks I'm going to play from the Permanent Waves album, as with Hemispheres before it. I felt this was another album in which two songs should be showcased on this tribute show. Taken from the 200 gram edition, released on June 16th, 2015, here is the album opener and the as mentioned classic rock radio staple, The Spirit of Radio.
That was The Spirit of Radio, the first of two tracks which will represent the album Permanent Waves. Back on episode 9 of the I Am Vinyl podcast, which was another random set of 25 songs, the November 2019 edition, I had played a track by a band called Shelter, in which I mentioned that Rush was not the only band with a song called Free Will that I was into during my introduction to their own song of the same name. Given it's one of my favorites of the early 80s era of Rush, here's another long-standing favorite of many fans from the Permanent Waves album, Free Will.
That was Free Will from the album Permanent Waves, as we'll now head into Russia's eighth and highest-selling studio album to date. Currently certified quadruple platinum, and being an album and time period in which they reached their ultimate height of popularity among even more mainstream rock radio fans, including my older brother Vincent, who would often listen to Tom Sawyer around this time. More than likely, this would be the first time I'd ever heard Rush, as this was a few years before my story of early drumming aspirations I had told earlier while introducing the spirit of radio. Obviously, the song Tom Sawyer can be heard on classic rock radio multiple times per day. So for this album, I want to play two tracks once again to represent the Moving Pictures album, which was originally released on February 12th, 1981. The first track I've chosen is once again showcasing the drumming brilliance of Neil Peart, and as with La Villa Strangiato earlier from the Hemispheres album, can easily be considered by Rush fans to be one of the greatest instrumental pieces ever recorded. I'm speaking of a track called YYZ, which as long-standing Rush fans know, is the airport identification code for the Toronto Pearson International Airport, which was located near the band's hometown. The actual rhythm of this airport identification code became the basis for what would become YYZ, or as it's supposed to be pronounced, YYZ, as said by the members of Rush themselves in documentaries and interviews whenever this instrumental was discussed. Interesting to note, YYZ was nominated for a Grammy Award in the Best Rock Instrumental category in 1982, but lost to the police's Behind My Camel from my favorite album of their discography, Zenyatta Mondada. Now, I love that instrumental by the police, too. But I think, as many times in the history of the Grammys, the Grammy Award Academy got it all wrong with that decision. So with that all being said, taken from the 200-gram vinyl edition that was released on July 24th, 2015, here is one of the greatest instrumental pieces of music ever committed to tape, and another one of my all-time favorite instrumental pieces of work, YYZ.
That was YYZ, the first of two tracks I've chosen to spin from Rush's highest-selling album to date, Moving Pictures. And next up is going to be another highly familiar song that might be playing on some random classic rock radio station as I speak right now. It's been well documented that Neil Peart was never one to seek very much attention and was not one who would participate in fan meet-and-greets in later years as Geddy Lee and Alex Lifeson would. Well, this is a song in which Neil Peart's lyrics express his hesitation and lack of desire to be placed on a pedestal, to be worshipped, and much of what comes with stardom. Which in this instance is amazing to me, because this song was written and recorded before Moving Pictures would go on to become their most popular and biggest selling album to this point in 1981, after a string of very successful albums, only elevating their status even higher than it had been before with the song Tom Sawyer grabbing more mainstream rock fans' ears during this time. The song I'm talking about is set to spin right now from the 200-gram reissue of Moving Pictures, and it's called Limelight. Yeah. 
That was Limelight from the album Moving Pictures, as we're now going to head into Rush's second album from 1981, a double live album set called Exit Stage Left, which was originally released on October 29th, 1981, and would become their second live album following the double live set from 1976, All the World's a Stage, and would also become their 10th overall album release. I can remember my older brother Vincent finally receiving a box from Columbia House containing 10 or 12 cassettes in which he sent in his penny taped onto an order form several weeks earlier. One of the cassettes he'd chosen as part of the batch was Exit Stage Left. Along with some of his other selections from The Police, Pat Benatar, Asia, and Queen, he would play the Exit Stage Left cassette fairly often from my recollection. The track I've chosen to play from the 200-gram double vinyl set released on September 25th, 2015 could have easily been picked to have been played from Moving Pictures. Another popular fan favorite by the name of Red Barchetta, which is going to spin right now.
That was Red Barchetta from the Double Live LP, Exit Stage Left. And now we're going to move on to part two of the I Am Vinyl podcast tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. So treat this as if it were a six LP set released in the store, and we've played the first three LPs, and now we're going to move on to the last three LPs. So coming up next is part two of the I Am Vinyl podcast tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. <laughs> 